me to reintroduce myself. Now tuned into the greatest. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Supreme Decisions Legal Minute Podcast. And it's me, your host, Supreme Decisions. And today, Supreme on the track. Before I get too deep, because we're going to have our commercial breaks, which is, you know, it's going to be two. And right now, we're actually going to stream this episode on Periscope. So during the commercial breaks, we're actually going to stop the streaming and we're going to let the commercials play and then we're going to set up um, portions two and three. But for today, I want to talk about something because we're all on this COVID-19 lockdown and we're in the midst of something where a lot of court systems are actually not holding court they're losing money and most of us are looking for other means of getting out of showing up and all this good stuff. Now, there are several times when you heard me talk about fighting. You've heard me talk about showing up as the contract for the fight. And you hear me speak about things on the level of just being a combatant. Well, today I want to talk about something and I'm going to get a little deeper into it because after this episode, I'm going to do a video and it's going to be in the regards of the actual fight itself and qualified immunity and how to do it correctly. So be on the lookout for that. But I'm going to start off today with a little bit of a story. Because as a kid, when I was growing up, I'm pretty sure a couple of you have heard me speak about this. And I talked about one of my favorite wrestlers. And no, it wasn't Hulk Hogan because he was a heads of a boy. And that's right down the road from where I did a lot of my stomping at. But it was the nature boy, Ric Flair. And, you know, it was the jet flying, Rolex wearing, kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing. This young man, he spoke about walking that aisle. In the Art of the Deal, I talked about the chess match. In the Art of the Deal, it talks about even not worrying about winning every battle. I've even associated a lot of this to chess as far as strategy. Because what people need to understand is even in chess, the object is not to lose a player not to lose a figure but it's to protect the king and there was even a podcast where I spoke about my confidence came from me knowing who my father was when you're understanding who's the king or what the king is and how the king moves because although the king is not the most powerful piece on the board the king is the one that needs the most protection because that's the object of this game when we're talking about the court system, we're talking about being strategic. When you're talking about doing certain things, understanding you're going to war, you're understanding you're going to battle, but you must understand what that battle is. And the reason why Ric Flair was that dude for me, because it's just like when I spoke about champions, it wasn't winning the belts that made someone a champion. 
Because Ric Flair, when he lost the belt, he always came back and he looked them in the eye and he asked, can you walk that out one more time? Because that's a great question. Because a lot of times what we're doing, we're looking at the actual battle and we're mistaking it for the war. We're not understanding that walking that aisle is just one round. Because when they knock you down and you're going to get knocked down, I even talked about how certain parts of it is rigged against you. And if you're a betting person, the odds are not having you as the favorite, even though the odds are in your favor. I'm going to say that one more time. If you were betting on, and this was a fight in Vegas, the odds would be against you, although the odds are not in your favor. Because the revenue monster that they've created is designed to kill. It's designed to generate. It's designed to work. I want to say that one. It's designed to work and even in the aspects that I spoke about once before I'm going to get a little deeper into today but it's understanding why it's so difficult when you are a champion and then you lose a fight or you lose the battle being able to walk that out one more time because I even talked about paper champions because a paper champion is not one that just goes out and defend the belt because winning the title doesn't make you a champion defending the title does and the reason is is the whole purpose of today's podcast and it's understanding the difference between predator and prey because a lot of us, you've heard me use the term, I am a super predator. I am always on the attack. I am always looking. I, you know, I'm always wanting the fight. I'm willing to get dirty. I'm willing to become that beast. I am willing to do what it takes, not only to win, but to make sure nothing else comes behind it. I'm willing to eat the consequences. I'm willing to destroy anything that's there. But that's where the separation comes. And the reason this podcast came up to my mind was because since we've been on this little quarantine thing, I've actually had an opportunity to sit down. I've been watching Pretty Boy Floyd because many people didn't like him a lot. Didn't like his boxing style. But what most people didn't understand was prior to going to the 147-pound division, where I believe his first fight was um, Arturo Gotti's belt. And that was his first major pay-per-view fight. He was Pretty Boy Floyd. And you looked at Pretty Boy Floyd. Pretty Boy Floyd was the predator. He was going after the king. He was going after 
the one that was on top, and that was Oscar De La Hoya. Because Oscar De La Hoya was the prey. Now, once Floyd beat Oscar De La Hoya, however you looked at that fight, there was a shift because there's a difference between being predator and being prey. Because once Floyd beat Oscar De La Hoya, he was no longer a predator. He was no longer the hunter. He was the hunted. What happens is the shift becomes of not just winning, but it becomes that of protecting. And when you're dealing with that in the justice system, it becomes a different act. Because I told you, prosecutors lose more than almost 70% of their trials. But they win most of their cases that are in front of them because they avoid trials by intimidation, by doing things that require you to push you towards a plea bargain because they know they cannot beat you. I'm going to say that one more time. They push you towards a plea bargain because they know they cannot beat you. Because you have a system that is set up on not objectifying law, but actually putting forth policy in the guise of law. And when you're doing that, you have a lot of people that now understand this is why my channel exists. This is why my podcast exists. Because for the simple fact that most people have no clue what law is, for the simple fact that most people have no idea what it is that police can and can't do, and they have no real grip on the matter of what it is that can be done. And if something is not done, what can they do about it? Because they have been taught and programmed through television shows like live TV, cops. Um, what's a what's another one? You have one of those where, because even Live Rescue talks about different programs. You have Law and Order, where Law and Order becomes something. The CSI was one of the ones that was used during my trial, because understanding what's real and what's make believe is not what they're trying to do. They want to make sure you have no clue of what they can and can't do and that you are too scared to challenge it. Because as long as they're able to continue to push for something, as long as they're able to make sure you're not prepared to even become I'm going to say become a predator, they're going to remain king. Because they know once you become king, they can't beat you. Because once you become king, they understand when they're in the position of predator, they are not capable. That is why when I give you the numbers of them putting up baseball numbers at trial, when I give you layouts of what you need to do when you're putting forth your efforts to challenge these 
things and it's understanding that when you're doing something there's a method to doing it there's a purpose to doing it and there's also an act in which it needs to be done because it's not just walking that aisle but it's being able to walk that aisle each and every time that contract is signed it's about defending what you know is right it's about defending what you know is true it's about understanding what is truth these are the things that I'm trying to give you these are the things that they don't want you to have they want to make sure you have no clue they want to make sure you are programmed to just believe that what they're doing is okay that you're accepting the guise of a stranger you're accepting advice from those that mean you harm because they want you to go out and work for them they don't care anything about your family they don't give a shit about your rent they don't care anything about your car payment they don't give a shit that your baby needs formula or clothes all they care about is you giving them money because even even in the ideas of when we're talking about child support we talk about probation I'm going to get into these things because, again, those are things that are not lawful. I'm going to get into the things of the acts of champions. Because even whenever I taught um, football, one of the things I told everybody was, you have to practice like you play. When I played basketball, that was one thing that was not only taught to me, it was taught to you know, those that I coached. And it was... You have to practice like you're going to play. You have to practice like a champion. And that was one of the things that we constantly say, hey, what are you doing? Everybody held everybody else accountable because we practiced like champions. We played like champions. We became champions. Now, did we win every year? No. Did we win every season? No. But the fact that we were competitive each and every season out, the fact that we all had the same mindset, no matter what the score was, each and every game, we played and we made adjustments. That's what champions do. Those are the things. Understanding we didn't have to win every second of the battle. Because our objective was not the battle. Our objective was the war. We were protecting our king. These are things that we must understand. We were ready to walk that out each and every time we were called. The question is, are you ready to walk that out? One more time are you ready to answer one more time are you capable of creating a mindset where you cannot be beat are you you know what do you want the mindset of one that can't be beat because if you have any doubt doubt creates the mindset they're looking for Doubt creates the programming to which you'll cut a check. Doubt creates when you're living check to check that it's okay to hand someone your hard-earned revenue when they're telling you something that's untrue. Because one of the things that I was taught early on was confidence comes from knowing. That's why I do the things I do whenever I'm giving you this on my channels. It's the simple fact that I'm giving you something that's not my opinion. I'm giving you something that you can go into 
like I say, the universities where you're at, the law firms where you're at, the courthouses where you're at, and find what I said. It's not my opinion. It doesn't even matter if you like or don't like me. Because, again, I'm going to use a Ric Flair. Because whether you like it or don't look like it. You know what? I'm going I'm to actually kind of kind of stray off a little bit. Because the question was asked by Justin Thomas. I appreciate you. When does confidence stray in arrogance? Confidence strays in arrogance in the easiest form of when you're having the mindset of I know it. I live it. I breathe it. Because just like I spoke about before during my RICO trial, one of the things that came across me was a bout of arrogance. And I mean, at the end of the day, that's all it was. It wasn't just, you know what, I'm going to do this. It was something that came across me and it was arrogance. The whole construct of it was, did I do something to change the narrative? Yes. Did I put myself into a position of power? Yes. Did I help me and my brothers get somewhere that we were more able to do something that was more beneficial to us? Yes, yes, and yes. I chose because of arrogance, because of the confidence I had. Even my statements were, you know, they were asinine. Because even looking back at it, that was a stupid decision. Because I gambled really hard with something that I should not have. It was an unnecessary gamble. And arrogance will allow for the, un, the overconfidence to kind of overlap. But at the same time, those that do great things, those that make history, aren't doing things simply because they are the most confident or they're the most arrogant. It's the fact that they, they honestly believe they're too big to fail. Me, I told my brother when I did that stupid shit, because he looked at me, his eyes was big as shit, and he goes, why in the hell did you do that? And I told him, I said, the only way they can beat me is if they steal it from me. I believed that. My arrogance made me believe that, simply because it was reinforced by someone who had been on their team telling me I knew something even they didn't know, and they had been doing it much longer than I had. And that was that was just fuel to the fire. And even doing that, do I regret it? Shit, no. Because my name is now in a history book. Because I did something nobody else did. I, <laughs> but it allowed for me to actually sit back later and say, you know what, yeah, that was stupid. But had I not done it, had I not accepted the challenge, because again, even going into that, Floyd's confidence, his level of arrogance allowed him to do great things. Deontay Wilder's confidence and his arrogance allowed him to do great things. But when you don't have those things, that's when the problem comes. Because at some point, you have to become self-reliant on the things that you're able to see things that are tangible, things that are touching, things that can be made into something greater. If you're not willing to accept and trust yourself, what is it that you are willing to accept and trust? Because not doing that costs you everything. Because I'm looking at a story, 
because I'm going to get back on topic when I come back after the break. But I'm looking at a story where a young man, he, and it's actually in the midst of, um, I think it's called For Life, and it's a 50 Cent produced um, TV series. And it's about a young man who was wrongfully accused of a crime, and he was um, convicted under the Kingpin statute, blah, 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 blah. Now, last week when I was watching this, this young man had a... No, I'm not, Justin. I am not an attorney. I actually won a racketeering case in Georgia as a pro se litigant, and I sat first chair. Um, but the young man, he's in prison. He had a couple friends that testified against him. And in the midst of doing that, he had an opportunity for a retrial because he actually got the files that the DA was trying to keep from him, which happens, like I say, more than 76% of the time. And that also gets you going like, okay, great. Uh, if they're doing the right thing, why are they hiding stuff from you? If they're doing the right thing, why are they lying in reports? If they're doing the right things, why are they not showing their hand? But that's what they're supposed to They want you to believe that they're the good guys. They want you to trust them. They want you to understand. They're going to lie to you. They're going to deceive you. They're going to intimidate you. But they're the good guys. Because that's what good guys do. But you're a criminal just because you put on an orange jumpsuit. Well, even in the midst of that. Had a man that went to prison, came out of prison. And now the actual dude that was innocent. 100% innocent. The only thing he was was a business owner and he had friends that he went into business with and one of the friends out of the whole group was guilty because they were doing something they had no business doing and he was there. That was his, his crime was being a friend. When he went back to one of the men that actually helped him get convicted, that friend looked at that young man's wife and he said all he had to do was take a deal. That's not my fault. His wife said, his wife turns around, looks at the friend and goes, why would he do that when he's innocent? This other young man turns back around and says, it was only one person guilty. And we all had to go. He should not have fought. When you're understanding the loss that can happen, because a loss can change your life. Are you willing to fight for what's right? Are you willing to fight for the truth? Because most people want to have their side told, but they're not willing to get in the ring to have it told. I want you to think about that. What are you willing to lose? What are you willing to sacrifice in order for everything that you understand, everything that you know, everything that you believe to be tested? And here's our first break. Welcome back from that commercial break. Well, like I was saying, we have to set ourselves up to not only be champions and set ourselves up to win. We have to set ourselves up in a manner to which allow us to go in with the confidence to know that we can win, that we will win, and that everything that is done is for the win. And one of the things that happen is you have to understand the constructs of the mindset because when you're going out and you understand 
I speak about programming. Even now, we're being programmed to accept certain things. We're accepting certain conditions. We're accepting the loss. We're accepting, <laughs> for the most part, we're giving up one and two. You remember I told you that before. What are you willing to give up? You're giving up one now. And that's your freedom to move about. Your freedom of locomotion. You're willingly giving that up. Right? Because 99.9% .9 of us are staying in the house. One, because we're being programmed that the virus is going to consume us all. But we're also not paying attention to the infrastructure breakdown. We're not paying attention to the shortages. We're not paying attention to the pretty much walkthrough of weakening, the rationing of toilet paper, the rationing of paper towels, the rationing of things to actually protect yourself. Because one of the things that a lot of us talked about was, are we going to give up our Second Amendment rights for guns to protect ourselves? Most of us said, no, hell no. But a lot of us have laid down and said, you know what? We don't need them. But what we're doing, we're not, <laughs> we're not looking at what's coming. We're looking at a present state and we're not playing 10 moves ahead. We're not foreseeing the things of the possible. And that's not the mindset of a champion. Because when you looked at someone that played chess like Bobby Fischer, Bobby Fischer talked about how he would move in games five moves ahead. And that's if someone that didn't have a strategy actually going against him that was very good. He would be at least five moves ahead of them. Most games he actually had saw the end before he made his first move simply by the way someone was posturing. That's because Bobby Fischer had the mindset of a champion. He understood there was a war that was going to be fought. He didn't care about losing pieces because the ultimate goal was to protecting the king and winning the battle. Most of us, we have no idea who our king is because we don't even value ourselves above certain things. We don't value our freedoms above certain things. And I was listening to um, a guy that I've actually been watching on and off, hell, mostly since my trial. And his name is, um, well, he actually goes by Tommy Sotomayor on YouTube. But one of the things he said last night was actually, it was ridiculously profound. He spoke about convenience and comfort. And he stated if a man or woman is willing to give up their freedom for security, you don't deserve either. Now, he was quoting someone. I didn't catch that part because I was doing a whole bunch of other things. But the context of that statement, if you're willing to give up your freedom for security, you don't deserve either. Because even people like Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi even stated 
that battle is something that's necessary. But even if you're not looking to be in a battle, you have to at least be prepared for it. And even for my biblical people, when they spoke about going to heaven, there had to be a preparation. There had to be a plan. Every day that you have to wake up with a purpose, every day you have to wake up with a plan. This is the exact same thing that you're doing right now. You're sitting at home and most of us are not waking up with a plan. Most of us are just waking up for sunrise and we're going to sleep at sunset. Most of us have lost our sense of meaning because we have no regular nine to five to go to. But here's where a lot of people will flourish because now in an uncertain time, the created certainty by being self-employed, by finding some means to still making yourself valuable. These are the things that champions do. You're finding a way to move forward in spite of, not because of. You found that meaning to keep you moving. When I was going through the trial, my purpose was to go home. But my meaning and my willfulness to study, my meaning and my willfulness to push through, even when I was tired, when I was exhausted, when I was scared out of my mind, was a little boy. This little boy <laughs> who wasn't supposed to be, <laughs> for the most part. It was supposed to be a little girl, my bookend. That little boy inspired me to become greater than I was. He didn't know it. He didn't even know who I was. But I knew I had to be great for him. Every day, my preparation was to grab a book. My preparation was to learn something new. My preparation was done to become better than I was the day before. Tiger Woods used Kaisen to do that. And that's being better today than you were yesterday. Many of us are trying to find a means of even a meaning for yesterday rather than being better than it. They're trying to find purpose for yesterday. When in fact, your purpose should be you. Your purpose should be something that's greater than you. And the reason I do this, and I get a lot of people that come back at me and say, hey, you shouldn't do that because you're, I actually had a guy that's put in my comment section, well, thank you for giving this out because now you're just freeing criminals. <laughs> and I spoke about the, the system itself, the system that wants to give absolutes, the system that needs perfection, the system that we all know from top to bottom is flawed because of this thing called human error. We have this thing where it's not done on law, but it is performed on policy. It is functioned through fear and intimidation and coercion. And absolutely, no, I'm not talking about mafia tactics. I am talking about our system of policing and justice in this country. Now, when I'm doing this, I changed it from leveling the playing field because the playing field will never be level. 
to justice for all. Because when you look at the 840,000 people that are in our jail systems right now because they can't afford bond, they still need justice. You look at the men and women that have been executed knowing they were innocent, they still need justice. When you look at those that aren't being punished for crimes that are being done on television, that are live, that are being broadcast across the world, there needs to be justice. And even when we talk about just because someone has done something wrong, if God will offer an opportunity for a second chance or forgiveness, why can't we? Why are we programmed to believe once somebody does something, that's what they are for the rest of their life? Because if that's the case, we can't follow any of the disciples. Because you look at someone that is great as Paul. Because Paul actually spoke about the greatest among you shall be a servant to all. Paul was one of those great followers. Paul went to prison several times. There were several instances where Paul was willing to lay down. <laughs> as, as he, he, would, he would pull Tupac. Him and Peter. They were willing to stand up, throw down, and die for that shit. Because they needed justice. Because I spoke about a while back, and I actually stated Benjamin Franklin had said this. And I was like, oh no, I have to correct that. It was William Blackstone. Well, come to find out, William Blackstone did say it, but Benjamin Franklin later said it. So I was half right, half wrong. But I'll, I'll live with that. Because it's better for 10 guilty persons to escape than one innocent sufferer. The problem is you have the right to be guilty or not guilty. You do not have the right to be innocent. I'm going to say that one more time because I actually paused a little bit for dramatic effect, but I want you to understand you have the right to be guilty or not guilty. You do not have the right to be innocent. Because even whenever I first started doing this, I, I think I had spoke about this once before, I had wrote a motion to revoke all presumptions. Because one of the things that was taught to me when I was a little boy was I had the right to be innocent until proven guilty. But now as I've grown to a man, I put away childish things, I began to understand that it had nothing to do with guilt or innocence. All they wanted was my time or my money. When you can have a DeKalb County police officer that had nothing to do with an arrest, when I pled guilty to something that was done in DeKalb County on video, and that officer who had nothing to do with it would sat up, sit up there in court and blatantly lie about the accounts <laughs> that went on that was on video and the judge tell me you're going to have to recant your guilty plea if you want to dispute what the officer is saying and me trying to get across to the judge that I don't want to change my plea because I am guilty of what I am confessing to my profession was it 
the thing that I said I did, I did. The problem is the things that are coming out of his mouth had nothing to do with what I had done. It just so happened prior to being taken out or executing the remainder of his lie, the officer that arrested me walks in with the videotape. The thing that I looked at was the fact that this officer was willing to lie on the record even after I had, even after I had pled guilty for whatever reason. But I'm supposed to trust that he's a good guy. This judge was going to allow his lie to go on the record even though I told him I was guilty. Had this young lady not walked in with a videotape my father would have believed I was an absolute liar. And the problem was I had no reason to lie. Because I had pled guilty. I accepted the consequences of my actions. And again, I think that's, that's part of where my anger comes from. Because everybody knows I'm biased. I'm biased to a point where if you have an incident with a police officer, fight. Sue, because you have those that do the things that this man did for no reason whatsoever. But you had the police apologists that say, well, well, it was okay because you had already pled guilty, but what was the purpose of lying if he's a good guy? What was the purpose of giving testimony of something that he never saw? What was the purpose of testimony that had nothing to do with the actual crime? Because yes, it was a crime. I did do it. Thank you. Yeah, I did it. But why lie? If he's a good guy, if he's an honest guy, if he's an upstanding person, if he's someone I should trust, why is he lying? Because one of the things that I always tell you, and again, I had someone close to me ask me one day because it pained me. Because they wanted to take a deal. They wanted to do everything in their part. You know, I just want this over with. I, I, I understand you're going to talk shit to me. I, I told them, I said, no, I'm not going to talk to you. Just you can never bring up around me ever again in life. You can never take that stance. Because if you let one go, you got to let all of them go. Because if you plead guilty to something that you didn't do, then guess what you're going to do next time? It's called pattern behavior. And... Then they looked at me and said, what would you do? And I smiled. I said, well, I'm biased. I'm fighting every time. I don't give a shit. Now, did I always do that? Nope. Will I always do that? Yep. Because at the end of the day, just like Steve Harvey said, and I bring this up often too. I don't care if you got a video of me with my social security number on my ass. You got to prove it to me. Why? Because I'm better now. Because of Kassan, I'm better today than I was yesterday. I'm going to be better tomorrow than I am today. Because I'm going to keep pushing forward. I'm going to keep looking for improvement. I'm going to keep striving for justice for all. Because I'm putting together something to help build champions. Because even I look at someone that is as seasoned as Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi took professional athletes every summer. Because in the NFL, people are playing for the Vince Lombardi trophy. 
because that means they're the best in the league that season. This man took grown men that had been playing all their life and said, this is a football. And he taught them from scratch every season. Now, 50 years later, they're playing for his trophy. Now, understanding that concept, I'm giving you something that's not being taught in law school. I'm giving you something in a manner that will never be taught in any school. I'm giving you something that's going to grow beyond YouTube. I'm giving you something that offers you an insight to being better. This is the equivalent to watching game tape. Because one of the things I actually used to do whenever I played balls, I actually mimicked those. Because good artists borrow, great artists steal. I watched Kobe. The reason why I watched Kobe because Kobe watched Mike. But Kobe had a little bit something different. I didn't have Kobe's athletic ability, so I had to go look at, at people like Danny Manning. Macy O'Bast and Maurice Taylor. I, I borrowed from all those guys. As I got older, I began to steal. I began to take bits and pieces from Michael. I began to take bits and pieces from Kobe. I took a few pieces from Lamar Odom. Took a few from um, Carmelo Anthony. I took a few from players that I could see myself working with. I could see myself in. I could see myself being able to do the moves that they were doing. And now, because of personal injury, my desire is different. I still look at, I still want to win. How can I be successful? How can I be better? And my brother actually looked at me and said, hey, why don't you do this channel? Why don't you just do this channel? You, they've been asking you since 2008. Why don't you do it? They've been asking since 2008. Just go on and do it, man. What is it going to hurt? 100, 100 videos later, I get my first check from Google for 26 bucks. And then another 200 videos in and now I'm fighting police unions, I'm fighting trolls, I'm fighting, hell, I'm even fighting people that I'm helping. But the one thing about it is that the, even helping people is allowing me to be better. Because I look at it this way, I, I have a bunch of children, I have a flock of children. And the one thing I love about them is the fact that they keep you sharp because they put you in a point to where you actually have to look at something and know it so they can be able to regurgitate it. You have to be able to give them something of substance. You have to be able to give them something that they can actually understand and take home because that was one of the trademarks of Abraham Lincoln. He used to always say, keep it so simple, even a child can understand. So that allows me to actually have more patience with people. I don't take everything to heart. Actually, I read a lot of my comments two and three times before I respond. And again, 
I'm gonna give a shout out to Dexter Jackson because he was one of those people that allowed me that I had to read his comments two or three times before I understood exactly what it was he was doing. Because I thought Dexter was a troll. But at the end of the day, Dexter was making sure I was on my game. Dexter was making sure I understood it the way I was teaching it. Dexter was making sure that iron was sharpening iron. And he was making sure that the people that was following me was actually understanding. And also, he was making sure that they were protecting and I wasn't giving them bullshit. And that's one of the things that, and this is my contribution for it's better that 10 guilty persons escape than that one innocent suffer. Because do I want rapists and murderers and child molesters and all these, these people that do these things? Do I want them on the street? Fuck no. But I can't ask for them not to be on the street and not ask the people that are responsible for putting them there and keeping them there to do their job properly. In order for me to make sure they're doing their job properly, I have to teach what their proper procedures are. They have to be enforced onto them. The impression that their duties mean something. I want to say that the impression when you're challenging them that their duties mean something because it's more than money. Their stopping folks is more than revenue. It's impressing upon the fact that I have children that are in the armed forces. They're sacrificing their lives. They're braver than I am. I have friends that have sacrificed their life because they're braver than I am. I have people in my life right now that are doing things that <laughs> it actually is to make sure I can do this. I've lost people that mean a lot to me because they gave up their life to make sure I can do this, to make sure I can give you this. I can't say their sacrifice was bullshit just because someone thinks I should do something or I should do it differently or I shouldn't say this or I shouldn't say that. Maybe I shouldn't give you this. Maybe I shouldn't give that. But was it okay for them to die so I can do this? What did they have to lose for it to be all right? What else do they have to give up for it to be all right? Because I can't just give you something. That's why every day I get up, I prepare to be a champion. I don't give a shit about being right. I just want the win. I don't give a shit about being right. I want the win. It brings a lot of anger to me. When I watch. When I watch the injustices. That can be prevented. By simple shit. When I watch the injustice. And people accept them just because. Of fear. 
when I watch someone say that I shouldn't give people something that was here before me because I should just accept something because someone else doesn't know better. And the greatest thing about it was I did a video when I first started and it was it was a Facebook video where this young man was snatched out of his car and he broke his windows. They beat him and his girlfriend up because he asked the police officer, okay, what did you pull me over for? It was amazing because the narration in the video was somebody that had no idea what the fuck law was. And they talked about how someone should have done something. How the guy in the car was wrong. He should have just did this. He should have just did that. The police don't have to do this. The police don't have to do that. Then I put up the video with law in it. Everyone began to question my video. Then I put up the lawsuit results. This young man, this young woman had sued those officers. One lost his job. The other three were suspended without pay, reprimanded, and retrained. They don't do that dumb shit anymore. Because the simple fact is, they had to learn that their job means something. They had to learn that the procedures that they are taught have effect. They had to learn there was a cause and an effect. Because every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Now, you heard me talk about the beast. The nature of the beast doesn't change. And I also told you when you start to go up against the beast, you have to become a beast to be the beast. I even gave you the example of Wonder Woman. How Wonder Woman thought the lasso was the, was the god weapon. Oh, that's the god weapon. Oh, I lost it. I lost the god weapon. And the dude that she referred to as the god turned around and looked at her and laughed. Since you're the weapon. Well, I'm going to give you something. Because you're the weapon. The thing is, you have to understand the separation. Because, yes, you do have to become a beast to beat them. But you cannot let that beast become who you are. That is one of the things. I always tell people I have, I have two personalities. Because a lot of people have no idea what my real name is. Because I changed my name back in 2008. And... Very few people know what my real name is. Most people call me Richard. Richard is actually my alter ego. And I always tell people, they meet who I am, really. That's, they, that's the guy they meet. Richard's a complete asshole. Richard is about that life. Richard wants to smoke. Richard forgets sometimes that he has a family. Richard forgets that... He has something to lose. Because for whatever reason, Richard is that beast. Richard lays dormant inside me often. That's why a lot of you see on a lot of my social media stuff, you see the picture of the Hulk. Because most people that met David Van Vander, he was cool good. He was cool. David was that dude. But it was the Hulk 
that no one could deal with because the Hulk was angry. And I tell people, I, I look at certain things and I get angry. Because even just doing this podcast, I got angry. I did a video about the mass shooting in El Paso and how I lost a friend and how I almost got into a fight because Richard showed up during the conversation about veterans. Richard showed up during that conversation and Richard, Richard almost got me locked up because I was getting ready to put my hands on somebody. Even doing a video, I was actually going to not post a video because of how angry I was. Because just talking about it made me angry. Even now, just talking about it makes me angry. When I'm, I'm standing in front of a police officer and they're doing something and saying something stupid to me, I get angry. And you won't like me when I'm angry. Because I am a fool with a fucking purpose. Because I don't believe you should have money if you're not willing to sacrifice for it. If you're out here doing something you have no business doing to get it, I got to get it about you. I got to tap those pockets. And I'm willing to move across the country to go and get it. I don't mind. I'm willing to make that sacrifice because for me it's not a sacrifice. Because the saddest thing about it, my brother talked to me about because when, during my first marriage, one of the things that was comfortable with me was the fact that I was in a new city every night. We was always on the road. We lived hotel from hotel. Hell, even whenever I separated, I went right back to doing the same thing. Hotel to hotel. I, it, <laughs> I lived the majority of my adult life in hotels. Because I don't mind that. I love new shit. And the problem was, my brother told me one day, dude, you're going to have to figure out something. Because you're a nomad. And I, and I realized something. I realized something, and I can't get settled. I can't prepare as a champion if I'm bouncing from hotel to hotel. The problem is I still do it. <laughs> you know, I love it. It's just something that's in me. So changing cities is nothing to me. Showing up and posting up is nothing to me. You know, I lived my life as a drug dealer at one point. It's just nothing to me. But understanding. That, yes, are some people going to go free simply because the job is not taken seriously by someone either as a police officer or as a prosecutor, as a judge, as something. If somebody drops the ball, guess what? They're thinking their job is not meaningful. And if you're not going to get up to do your job properly, you shouldn't get up and put the uniform on. You shouldn't get up and put shirt and tie on. You shouldn't get up and put that robe on because your job means something. You have a responsibility. If you're choosing not to follow through on that responsibility, you can't blame me for allowing, making it easier for the 10 guilty persons to escape and making it more difficult on the one that's innocent. Because even... Even in the Lincoln lawyer, he talked about the scariest thing for an attorney to have is an innocent person. Because they are not trained to win. Attorneys aren't trained to win. Why? Because very few of them even deal in law. And even um, in Blackstone's formula. Blackstone talked about something that a lot of people that or I call police apologists, something that they try to overlook. And it's one of the things that I talk about constantly 
And it goes like this. Fourthly, all presumptive evidence of felony should be admitted cautiously. For the law holds that it is better that ten guilty persons escape than one innocent suffer. And even Sir Matthew Hale in particular lays down two rules most prudent and necessary to be observed. That's one, never convict a man for stealing goods of a person unknown, merely because he will not give account how he came by them unless an actual felony can be provided of such goods and never convict a person of murder or manslaughter till at least the body be found dead. On account of two instances he mentioned where persons were executed for murders of others who were then alive but missing. Now, I'm going to leave you right there for a second to ponder. Because when I come back, I'm going to a closing. But I'm going to pick it up right there. Because understanding, this is part of the champion building. This is part of the thing that allows you to be better. This is allowing you to go further. This is allowing you to be better than who you are today. So, let's go into this last commercial break. Well, welcome back for this final stanza. Now, when we're talking about this, because even understanding the predator or prey mentality, and just like I told you, being prepared like a champion, because winning the belt doesn't make you a champion, defending the belt does. Because when you are hunting, you are the predator. When you are hunting, you are the one that's hungrier. It's harder to stay on top than it is to get to the top. I'm going to say that one more time. It's harder to get on top, to stay on top, than it is to get on top. And what I'm, what I'm going to get into now as I'm closing up is I want to make sure we have a full understanding. Because it's we're all in predator mode. Because I always tell people, you know, the best defense is a great offense. You know, one the one especially in the modern day, because one of the modern day shows of even that instance is the greatest show on turf, the Los Angeles Rams. They didn't play very well on defense, but they outscored everybody. Then you look at Peyton Manning's um, championship, um, Indianapolis Colts. They outscored everybody. They were like the greatest show on turf. And then you look at the Golden State Warriors. And then you look at the Golden State Warriors on steroids with Kevin Durant. They were just better than everybody. Not that their defense was great, but just their offense was just off the charts. And it's understanding when you're the predator. Because even when Golden State went back and they lost to Cleveland, because Cleveland was the prey, was the predator. Golden State at that time was the prey. It was harder for them to win 73 games and then go out and defend a title. But when you come back with a Kevin Durant, you become a predator again. When you defend with Kevin Durant, you fend it off the prey. And the craziest part about that whole thing was they were so much better than everybody else. That it was just a matter of 
<laughs> Stay healthy. <laughs> Just understand that. And it's our health, when we're talking about this and the aspects of the legal guys, it is our mentality. Because even when I talk about the simple things of making sure that you're understanding the nuances of every case that you're applying and how it's applied and the situations that you're speaking on and even understanding the atmosphere of the courtroom, understanding your audience. These are things that are not only important, but those are the things that you have to be mentally focused on. And you have to focus on them some longer than others, but you also have to be able to listen. A predator is one when he's doing a hunt. He observes everything around him. They're focused on the things that matter, when they matter. Now, you know, it's story time. My father was one of these guys. He actually loved to hunt. Didn't do it very often, but he, when he had an opportunity, he used to do it. He attempted to try to bring me into that world. I'm not that guy. I'm not going to sit out in the woods and just sit still with a gun. I ain't got that type of patience. I don't. I'm not even going to lie to you. But I went out there with him one day. And he sat down. We got in the tree. He just sat there. Didn't say a word. Just sat there with his gun. He's aiming. Barely moving. But then all of a sudden he heard something off in the distance. Because he was listening, not only for what wasn't there, he was looking, listening for what was there and where it was coming from. That's how we have to be in our courtrooms. That's how we have to be when we're working on contracts, when we're looking for responses. You have to be able to listen for not only what is there, but what's not there. You also have to be able to decipher it in a manner that allows you to stay in advantage. It allows you to keep hunting. Because the problem is, prior to us becoming the hunter, we are the hunted. Because most of us have no idea what position we're in. I want to say that one more time. Most of us have no idea what position we're in. And most of us don't understand what level of programming that's affecting us. Now, I look at the simple thing of going through and looking at the means in which you can actually say, you know what? I know this. I can hear that. A lot of people are sitting down there looking. You know what? Let, let me let me jump off something real quick. When my father passed away, I was actually surprised at the position that he had left me in. Not necessarily like in a a position of doing things, but it was a position where I had to do things that I was uncomfortable with. And one of the things was speaking at his eulogy. I think I said that right. Eulogy. I spoke at his eulogy. I, I spoke <laughs> and at the little session prior to his funeral. 
But one of the things about it was the night before my um, mother asked me, she said, she said, hey, you gonna write it down? And I actually, I was, I was worried because my wife at the time, she, she was sitting there with me and she was helping me. And then I took a deep breath and I said, yeah, fuck this. I'm not doing that. And she goes, why? I said, I'm going I'm to be honest. I said, because if I say this is bullshit, I'm thinking about this. I'm trying to do this. Because I'm not genuine doing that. So, day of the funeral, I get out there and they call me up. Reverend Joyner calls me to the stage before he does his his thing because he did a he, he he performed greatly he did his thing and he actually did did a speech I'm gonna talk about in a few seconds too but the one thing that I did was I got up and I spoke from my heart I spoke about how I did things just so I wouldn't be like my father and I found out that that made me exactly like who he was. I never understood that until then. It took me almost 30 years to figure that out. And then, after everything was over, Reverend Joyner got on stage, and he talked about going to his quiet place. And up until that point, I didn't understand what that was. But going to my quiet place... It brought me to the pastor prior to um, Reverend Jordan, which was Reverend Williams. Reverend Williams was the first person that I actually spoke to as a man. And Reverend Williams was one of the first pastors I spoke to. And my mouth was, it's always been filthy. It's like I've cussed and whatever. He never held that against me. And one of the things that actually helped me Whenever I did my first sermon, when I preached my first sermon, was the fact that he spoke about something as simple as he was, he did a sermon that's called Knowing Who Your Father Is. My first sermon was a rendition of that. It wasn't the exact same thing, but it was pretty much similar. It was very similar. And somebody asked me that during the trial. And I told him, I said, I am powerful beyond measure because I know who my father is. When I speak about mind changing, father can be whatever you want to use it as in your metaphors. Because that's exactly what it was for me. My metaphor. Father stood for something. I knew, I knew what made me powerful. I know what made me a king. I know what made me the best. Because I knew why I was better than everybody else that I was standing in front of. I knew that. That's because I knew who my father was. I knew that I had to become a beast. I knew in order to beat them, I had to become them. I was willing to walk through whatever the hell, because I was going to walk through it. I wasn't going to stay in it. Understand that. I was going to walk through whatever they put in front of me. I was water. Because what most people don't understand is 
when you speak about water, you look at the force of water, how strong water is. There's very little that's stronger than water. Because there has never been a rock that stopped water. There's never been wood that stopped water. There's never been anything that stopped water. Water is probably the most destructive thing on this planet. But it's also the most adaptable thing on this planet. It's the most beautiful thing on this planet. It's the most healing thing on this planet. It's the quietest thing on this planet. It's the most meditative thing on this planet. Because water is everything. Water is who we are. It is what we are. Water is what allows us to be great. Water is what allows us to be champions. Because if we're dehydrated, water hydrates us. If we're sick, water helps push this fluid through us. If our toxicity levels are too high, water helps clean us out. If we're constipated, water helps us roll out. If we got the runs, water helps us stabilize. Water is adaptable. Water allows us to be great because water is who we are. But you have to know that. You have to know when you walk into a courtroom, everybody is there as your subject. You just have to behave as if everyone there is your subject because everybody took an oath to work towards your benefit. Now, people don't want to believe that. When I talk about the Constitution as a trust document. But it begins with we the people. It doesn't talk about we the government. Because that trust document is absolutely set up as restrictions on the government. For the government, by the government. Why? Because the government itself doesn't have any power unless the people give it to us. You have to know who your father is. You have to know that you are the prey and they are predators. But you have to figure out how to be a champion to defend that belt. You have to figure out how to be better today than you were yesterday. You have to figure it out. You have to be able to see it, do it, respond to it, and then close it out. All in the blink of an eye. But the biggest part you have to understand is you don't have to defend yourself to anybody for any reason. I'm going to say that one more time. You don't have to defend yourself to anybody for any reason. Because if they are accusing you of something, you just have to make them prove it. You have to make them prove each and every step of it. You have to make them prove each and every aspect of it. Because I actually had one person that told me, oh, yeah, I was working on this case. And I just conceded that. And then when I went back <laughs> and asked better questions, all of a sudden, we didn't even make it to step two. He was already on step five. We hadn't even made it past step one yet. He was already on step five. I'm still on one, and I had broken it down completely. Because it's chess, not checkers. You cannot skip procedures and expect the same results. Champions don't cut corners. Champions don't look for the quick. Champions don't eat microwave dinners. They eat full dinners. They eat full meals. That's what I'm trying to give you. 
if you allow me to give it to you, I'm going to keep feeding you. Because, you know, because even when I play ball, one of the things that I told my guys, I said, I appreciate something. Because when, during the regular season, I don't really give a shit about the regular season. I just care about seeding. Where are we going to be at? When I saw where we were going to be at, I said, all right, it's time for the big dog to eat. Feed me. So when it was time to get to the chip, time for the big dog to eat. When you're talking about the first one, and you're talking about the second one, and you're talking about game winners, not only do pressure bust pipes, pressure makes diamonds. I know every time I touched the ball, I became the prey. I accepted that because I have the mindset of a champion. I'm willing to defend it every time. You look at somebody like Michael Jordan, he did a commercial about I missed 26 times. And then the very next game, he passed the ball to Paxson. Paxson knocks down the game winner. He accepted the joke. Because Michael won't tell you he went on to hit eight more game winners before he retired. I want to say that one more time. He missed 26 times. He passed off to Paxson the very next game to win the series. He accepted the joke. He went on to hit eight more game winners before he retired because Michael knew who his father was. Michael understood he was still the prey. He had to remind folks he was still prey. He had to let them know I'm still the king. I'm still better. I'm still going to do it. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. These are the things. That even when you talk about Ben Frank and he goes into the, it's better that 100 guilty persons should be set free than one innocent person should suffer. It's more important that we are armed to defend ourselves from every aspect because whether I give it to you or not, you are held to a standard that you are expected to know it. Although they're not teaching it. It's available to you. But it's not given to you. In a manner in which you can understand it. I want to say that to you one more time. You're held to a standard. To where they expect you to know everything that I'm giving you. You're expected to know this. But. Even though they give it to you freely, they don't offer it to you in a means of understanding. And if you look at our children now, the biggest issue that you have, not only with them learning the meaning of words, but the comprehension of sentences. They're taking away our children's ability to fight. They're taking away our feeling of freedom they're making you feel like you are prey and most of us are not mentally prepared to do anything else other than accept it because when I speak about the Tupac form of stand up throw down and be willing to die for this shit when I speak about 
that the days that we're going to have to draw a line in our sand and bite down on our mouthpiece is coming. You're looking at the fact that we not only are forced into martial law, we're accepting martial law. We're cool with it. They're going to come and take four, five, and six. We've given up one, two, and three. They're going to come and take four, five, and six. And if you thought most people were not fighting prior to, they're taking away your ability to fight simply because they're taking away your ability to stand and live without them. I want to say that one more time. They're taking away your ability to fight because they're taking away your ability to live without them because most people are not self-sufficient. Most people have no idea how to create value from what they have. Nobody has an idea of how to create something out of nothing because they've taken those things away and now you have to live for them. By them. Because when we're looking at the importance of justice for all, guilty and innocent, it's not about the criminals. It's about the enforcers. Because when the enforcers are predators on the very people that they are out here Swearing to uphold, defend, and protect. That's a problem. Because just like I said. Just like I said. When I was watching Tommy Sotomayor. And he spoke about this. It was actually kind of funny. Because he said. The actors of the government are always at war with the very citizens they swore to protect and serve. They have a perceived power through programming. But when I show you what they've sworn to, it contradicts that in every facet of the word. They have a perceived power. What I'm trying to do is show you people who your father is. I'm trying to show you that you are the head, not the tail. I'm trying to show you that you are the champion. You are the one that's in charge. But you have to be willing to fight for it. 95% of people were not fighting prior. And the 5% that was fighting, they were winning. Why is it you aren't attempting to continue fighting? Why is it you are okay with just being given something? Why are you just accepting less than you should have? Why are you accepting treatment of less than what you should be? Because when you look at people that are going to prison for 10, 15, 20 years, just because, and they're not fighting back, because I'm going to tell you, the reason why you have things such as an Alfred plea, where you maintain innocence, but you go to prison anyway, you maintain innocence, because the only thing you're doing with an Alfred plea 
is telling them, yeah, you can go ahead and send me to jail. I don't want to fight. But I get to say I didn't do it while, in fact, not holding the people responsible for doing a duty liable for any actions that they've done. The reason why it's illegal for you to be coerced into a contract is the exact same reason why it's illegal for them to interrogate a child without representation. It's illegal for them to interrogate you without representation because if you don't understand the language, how can you perform a negotiation? If you don't understand what's being done or the consequences, how can you make a sound decision? Because I had a young man tell me one day, I was actually doing mortgages. And at the time, the mortgage paperwork was probably about 35 pages long. And they were on the legal forms and they were long as shit. This young man, he goes, I walk in the house, hey, here's paperwork for you to sign, everything's typed up, all you gotta do is sign it. And I go, I start to go over them. He goes, nope, I wanna read them first. I looked down and said, are you going to read all, every page? He goes, yes. I said, okay, if you don't mind, can your wife make me some dinner while you're reading? See, yes. So wife makes dinner. I'm sitting down. I'm eating my plate. Got my little drink in my hand. And, you know, he's getting his read on me and the wife's sitting there kick, kick, kicking. So then he finishes. He looks up at me and goes, yeah, I'm done. He has a big smile on his face. I said, you read all of it? Yes, sir. I said, did you understand any of it? He said, no. I said, I said then why did you do it? He said, my mama told me I need to read everything before I sign it. I said, okay, you misunderstood what mama was saying to you. Mama wanted you to have an understanding. Mama wanted you to comprehend. Because if you don't have any comprehension, you still have no idea what it is you're signing. If you don't know the language, you have no idea what you're doing. You can't make a sound decision if you don't have all the information. You can't move forward. If something is being held from you. If there's something you don't understand. That's why I tell you in school. Ask questions if you don't understand something. There are no stupid questions. Unless you ask the same question multiple times. And a lot of times that's what happens. You have a lot of people that ask a lot of stupid questions. Simply because they're asking the same question. Or they'll watch one video. And then start asking questions. When I've answered it ten times prior. And then you look at. The fact that. Yeah, on the 10th or 11th time. Goddamn, yeah, stop. Just keep watching videos. If you watch all the videos, then you have a question. Then, yeah, okay, cool. I have no issue with that. Because I actually have people that watch a lot of videos. And they say, all right, dude, I, I watched 100 videos. Like, I, 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 I'll go back and put comments on the ones I watch. But, yeah, uh, here's the problem with I have. And it's funny. Because I know it's a genuine question because they are, and it's a lot of times just a small disconnect. And it's only because their programming isn't complete. That's why whenever I put in the Matrix clip of the young man bending the spoon and Keanu Reeves walks in and he goes, he's fascinated by it. And he tells, young man, I like to do that. The young man says, don't try to bend the spoon. That's impossible. Many people are trying to bend the spoon. Even though they've been told that it's impossible to bend the spoon, they're trying to bend the spoon. It's your mind that bends because you have to break the programming. That's what the Matrix is about. First, you have to break the programming because until that's broken, 
you can't move on to the next phase. Many people that I have interactions with, they're such, they're, they're so used to being prey that they're not accepting the new programming. They're stuck in the old programming. They want to be Mr. Regan. They want to move on to the second portion of the matrix, but they have no idea how the first part works. They're looking for microwave solutions. They're looking for something that allows them not to be a prey anymore. When in fact, you want to change the aspect of being the prey. Because just like Vision said in Avengers, your very strength invites challenge. The stronger you are, the bigger the challenge gets. Understand that. Because even God spoke about, in order for you to get to the next level, he's going to keep putting the exact same challenge in front of you. Because you can't move on to the next. You know what? I'm going to go back to a few of them. Because a lot of us played video games back in the day. And we looked at, we got the end of a level. We look forward to getting to the end of the level. Because we, want to, we wanted to fight the boss at the end of the level. Because in order to get to the next level, we had to beat the boss at that one. We couldn't move on until we beat that boss at that level. And each, each level, the boss was stronger. But the great thing about that was once we beat that boss... Every time afterwards, even if we had to start over from scratch, it was easier to beat the boss that we've already beaten because we're beyond that level. That's what this is. Every time it's time for you to go to another level, as long as you're hungry and you're remaining the predator, you can switch off the prey aspect of it. Because even when you're looking at this thing as a champion, you have to ref. Because even when the Bulls were winning in the midst of winning their their second three peat, they asked Michael, "What was it that motivated them?" Because they knew they were better than everybody else. Mike turned around and said, "We had to figure out something to challenge each other." I had to figure out something that challenged me that had nothing to do with this. Because I knew I could beat my opponent, but can I beat me? When you stay in predator mode, you switch out of prey and you go into predator mode, you know you're going to beat your opponent. Now you get to, <laughs> you know, it's almost like playing with the kids in the driveway. When you're dealing with traffic tickets, play on kids in the driveway. You know, you you can go out there and just do whatever it is you want to do. You do a couple trick shots. You throw at the ball. You you don't take it as serious. Why? Because you're beating the boss at that level. It's easy at this point. You're a grown person playing with kids. You ain't got no business being there. But now, what happens is you do something different. You get to practice something. You get to see new responses from what you're practicing. But what you want to do is stay in a mode that allows you to stay in advantage. It allows you to understand that you are the God. 
I want to say that one more time. You are the God that can kill the other God. You are the predator that can kill the prey. Stop being prey. But when you become preyed upon, you turn right back into a predator. Because one of my favorite favorite sharks, he sits on the bottom of the ocean. A lot of other fish come and eat off him. Bite, bite, little bites, little bites, little bites. And he's known to not eat unless he's hungry. You're going to have a lot of people that take little bites, little bites, little bites, little bites, little bites, little bites. But when he eats, he devours. Understand that. You don't just go out looking for a fight. You only eat when you're hungry. You only go out to get a meal when it's necessary. Because then you can be focused. You can have a purpose. And then you don't have to worry about strays because everybody that's there that's involved in it can't get it. Why? Because that's who you're supposed to be focused on. That's what you're supposed to do. That's your prey. That's why you're able to select what it is that goes on. Because when you are challenged, you then have a choice to accept it or not. You actually have a choice at the level you're going to go or not. But it's understanding first who it is you are. Understanding first what it is that you can do. Knowing thyself. Knowing what you're capable of. Knowing that you are better. Knowing that you are the best version of you. Each and every time. Knowing. That there is no one better. Because one of the things that a lot of people hate is the arrogance. You hate arrogant players. You hate arrogant boxers. And one person they was talking about, they asked Floyd Mayweather. Because he considered himself the greatest of all time. Now, most people don't believe that. Because Ali considered himself the greatest of all time. Ali did other things that allowed people to... to Reinforce that and believe that he was the greatest of all time. Well, the great part about that was somebody asked Floyd, who did he think was the greatest now? So when Floyd gave this young man a compliment, the young man, Ren Floyd, said, yeah, I am the best. And I cracked a smile because he's supposed to believe he is. Because you are the best version of you. You are. I always tell people. You are the man until you're not. You are the woman until you're not. You are the best until you're not. Someone, in order to beat a man, you got to beat the man. So until you have been beaten, you are the best there is. I want to say, in order to be the man, you have to beat the man. Because even with Ric Flair and NWA, the four horsemen, I used to love the fact that he would go out and say, whether you like us or don't like us, sit down and look at it because it was the best thing going today. Ric Flair is considered one of the greatest wrestlers of all time 
even though wrestling, for the most part, glorified stunt people. He went out and performed and gave us hope. He became an icon because he gave us something to look forward to. Because even Rick talked about, even after a loss, I talked about, it ain't the loss, it's what you do afterwards. It's how you respond. And even after, Rick used to ask, can you walk that out one more time? Because he understood, as a champion, he had to learn when he was the prey. And he lost as the prey. Is this person really a champion? Can they switch? Because now Rick was the predator. Because he had to get what he felt was his. He was willing to do something that he wasn't willing to do as the prey. That's the separation. Can you identify your separation? Can you walk that out one more time? Can you be the best version of you? Can you walk as that dude, as that woman? That's all I got for you guys today. I appreciate everybody that's been supporting the channel and the podcast. And don't forget, support the podcast monthly, 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99 per month. And it's going to come out on the first of every month. And let's keep going. Let's keep growing. Be sure to stay tuned for the videos that's coming. And be sure you also follow me on Instagram or Twitter. Because, yeah, I'm going to be posting. Keep it going. Love you guys. Until next time. I'm going to show you how great I am.